The following is paid programming brought to you by WT Wealth Management. Nothing we discuss should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational purposes only. Please do your own research and speak to an investment advisor or financial planner before making any investment decisions. All right, welcome to Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least. I'm your host, Jeff Orvitz. Uh, this week is our second in a two-part series, uh, Investing 101. And Glenn Least is a senior investment advisor with WT Wealth Management. You can learn more and ask questions anytime by going to WTWealthManagement.com or calling 928-225-2474. All right, uh, Glenn, this is our part two of a two-part series, although it might become a three-part series because we have so many uh, topics to go over and so much to yep. go over here, Glenn. Uh, last week, we, we started with Investing 101 and... I think one thing that folks should take away is the best time to start investing that we talked about last week is now. Yep. yep. So we, best want, time is now. we yeah. want to reiterate that. And we also got into some, uh, the idea here is to get into the terminology and mm-hmm. the basics so people can learn more. And last week we talked about what a stock is, what's a mutual fund, uh, what's a bond, what's a real estate investment trust. Let's continue to list. And if anyone wants to go back and, and listen to that, you can go to wtwealthmanagement.com yep. Yep. And, and check out that past, uh, the part one of this series. But I guess, Glenn, what's an, what's an ETF? Yeah, ETF stands for Exchange Traded Fund. And basically, an ETF uh, is a newer technology. It's the same basic premise as a mutual fund. It's a basket of whatever type of investments you want. Uh, the main difference with ETFs is they're a little bit faster and easier and more transparent than mutual funds, and a lot of times less expensive. So the ETFs have really you know, started to take stride in the last probably decade or so, but really just a more efficient technology of mutual funds. So just, just think of them as the same thing as a, a mutual fund. And, and I do like that they're a little bit more transparent too. So you can more easily find information on a mutual funds. They don't have to report their holdings as often of what's actually in the mutual fund. I think it's once a quarter, whereas ETF, it's a lot more often. So you just get a better idea. And we, we tend to like ETFs a little bit more um, just because their, their costs are lower and it's a more, it's actually a lot cheaper to trade them as well. So okay. to get exposure. Yeah. So they're pretty much the same thing as mutual funds. It's something that a lot of people, well, a lot of people used to invest in these a lot more CDs, but yeah. we've been in such a low rate in interest, yep. interest rate environment for a long time. I guess, what is a CD exactly? Talk yeah, about a that. A CD is a certificate of deposit. Basically a lot of times you'll have banking institutions offer these. And so you'll go into the bank and they'll say, Hey, we'll give you a one year or two year, three year CD or six month CD. You've probably heard those before. And in exchange for you giving up, um, you know, control of your money for that period of time. So say it's a, you know, you put $10,000 into a one year CD, um, that $10,000 will be, you're giving that control, um, to the bank for a year. Um, and then in exchange for that, they'll give you back an interest rate for that, you know, basically locking the money up. And, and, uh, usually the, the returns on CDs are fairly low. And a lot of times what the banks are doing is then taking that, money and then lending it out and charging interest on those loans so they can actually pay you back an interest rate. So um, that's why they have you lock it up for a certain period of time. You can get out of CDs before then, but a lot of times there's like early withdrawal penalties. So they used to be a lot more popular back in the day when interest rates were a little bit higher, but right now they're just, they're not as uh, common just because interest rates are so low. I mean, you lock up your money for a year and get maybe half a percent yeah, or something like that small, or 1%. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not exactly the most attractive trade off at the, at the moment. Yeah. Maybe they'll go back up again. Maybe. maybe yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, if, if rates come, come back up, CD return and interest on CDs will definitely be more attractive as well. 
Uh, and Glenn, we've spent a lot of time talking about this on past episodes. Uh, I still think there's a lot of confusion as far as people are concerned, when, when you hear the term cryptocurrency, yeah. can you break it down in an understandable way? Yeah. So I'll be the first to say I'm not a, you know, guru in, in cryptocurrency. I know a decent amount. And, and I think my knowledge is, is, is definitely good in the area, but there's some things even myself, I'm still trying to, we're still trying to, you know, learn the ins and outs. So cryptocurrency, um, you know, really is a digital asset and they've actually been changing the terminology more to digital assets. Um, we actually have a cryptocurrency group that we work with out of Scottsdale that does nothing but managed, uh, cryptocurrency portfolios. And, and when I was on the zoom call with them the other week, they kept calling them digital assets, digital assets. So I think that's because currency implies that you and I are going to buy and sell stuff with that, uh, particular, um, medium and it's just not practical to buy and sell stuff all the time in Bitcoin right now. So the, the terminology that it, it, the, the terms are called cryptocurrency, but I think maybe digital assets is a little bit more uh, effective. And, and basically you're buying, um, a, a lot of times a blockchain or a, uh, piece of digital, um, value. Um, and there's a lot of different types of digital assets. And I mean, there's thousands of, you know, digital assets and or cryptocurrency. So each one has a slightly different flavor of what they're doing, but the idea is that a lot of them have scarcity to them. So there's some sort of, um, built in mechanism where there can only be so much that's, uh, available in the open market and they're harder to, you can't just produce them out of thin air. So that's the idea of some of these cryptocurrencies, which makes them more valuable, which is why Bitcoin has, has remained, um, high in its valuations because you can't just keep creating more of it. There's a finite amount created. And as time goes on, you know, it gets harder and harder and harder to find those last couple, you know, uh, bitcoins, you know, cause people in the early days, it was a lot easier to quote unquote mine for the bitcoin. Um, but now it's getting a little bit harder. So, um, yeah, yeah it's a whole interesting space. Yeah, is um, it something that you, is it for the meek of, you know, some, <laughs> if you probably not, yeah, yeah, this, this is pretty serious stuff. I mean, is there yeah. a big risk factor there? Well, yeah, absolutely. So it, 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 well, even with stocks, I mean, stocks have, you know, if you just say the word stock, that's kind of like, well, what kind of stock are we talking about? Amazon stock? Are we talking some penny bio, biopharmaceutical company, you know, penny stock? I mean, cause those are both still stocks, but have very different risk, uh, levels. So I think it's the same thing with cryptocurrency. Some, some are a little bit, a lot more stable, a lot more mainstay. And other ones are kind of like the wild west, kind of like, you know, playing roulette sort of thing. So I think it really depends on which crypto. I mean, we were talking about you know, a couple months ago, my daughter and I found a cryptocurrency called happy hamster dancing coin. I'm sure that one, uh, has a extremely high risk level. <laughs> There's probably not a lot of people. How much have, was it? I was like a fraction of a cent. Or something <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it really depends on which one you're looking at. So like the main ones are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, those are probably the two largest ones and the most stable and, and each cryptocurrency does a little bit different of a thing. Some of them have uh, smart contract verification. So they have a little bit different applications. Some of them are more based on, um, transactional activity. So they're meant more for like buying and selling. Some of them are just, you know, pure digital assets. So kind of a buy and hold. So it's a whole interesting world out there, but, um, yeah, think of it as a digital asset. So, all right. And if you have questions, even if you have questions about the happy, what was the coin called? Uh, happy, happy hamster dancing coin. Happy hamster dancing coin. I, I don't have a lot of information. <laughs> Not on a lot that of info yeah, on that no. one. But no, if you have questions on anything, Glenn is available for you. Call anytime, 928 225 2474. We've also spent a lot of time over the past couple months, especially the last um, five, six weeks, Glenn, mm -hmm. talking about commodities, yeah. especially with what's been going on with Russia and Ukraine. Mm -hmm. 
with inflation and everything. Go- Talk about commodities. What does that consist of? Give us all the details on that. Yeah. So commodities are, I'll, I'll just name off a couple. Um, so obviously we know like oil, natural gas, timber, steel, titanium, lithium, um, palladium, copper, um, wheat, you know, coffee. Those are all commodities, things that, you know, we, we use on a daily basis. So, um, commodities have gone up tremendously because you think about most commodities, there's some sort of production that's involved with them, either finding them in the earth, mining, finding them and mining them, or maybe you have to grow them or produce them. So, you know, when costs go up for, you know, production costs, you know, commodities will go up as well. And there usually there's a scarcity to them too. There's not an unlimited amount of, you know, commodities, Mm -hmm. just like there's a limited amount of wheat in the world. And depending on, who's farming and how well the crops do. There could be a a lot of wheat or there could be a whole lot less, but it's not like an infinite supply. So that's usually the idea with commodities and which drives up the prices, you know, the supply and demand. If there's a huge demand and very little supply, obviously that price of the commodity goes up. Um, And if there is a huge supply and no demand, the price of that commodity can, you know, really kind of flounder. And a lot of times governments can subsidize those commodities, you know, at some point in time too, which also kind of affects the pricing of them. Like um, I think, uh, you know, we, we subsidize a lot of growing of corn and wheat in America. And sometimes, you know, farmers get paid to not produce it too. So huh. just to keep the, the, the values at a certain point. So sometimes the free marketing commodities does, or even oil, oil is a good example. You have OPEC, which, you know, basically controls and manipulates the price of oil to keep it artificially, you know, where they want it to be. Cause if everyone just produce as much oil as they wanted to, you know, the prices of oil would go down because there's so much supply of it and, you know, not enough demand to meet that. So, yeah. So sometimes there's, there's a little bit interesting things that go on with the commodities, you know, depending on how they're, they're, um, you know, what kind of policies are in place. Yeah. Uh, the final one we have here on our list and, and, and Glenn and I've been going over the list of different investment terminology is, and you've heard this term a, a lot lately, people in an, inflationary environment, which we're in right now, want to own real assets. Yeah. What, what's, what's, what's that mean? Yeah. Real assets is just another broad term. That means anything you can touch and feel. So you can't really touch and feel a stock. Can't really touch and feel a bond. So those are not real assets, but your home, you know, you can definitely, you can look at it, you can see it, you know, you can touch it and feel it. Same with uh, some commodities. Those are in the real asset category as well. And so it's a more broadly different defined term. It just means anything that you can physically look at and touch and feel pretty much, um, you know, whereas, you know, stocks are a little bit more, uh, theoretical. I mean, how do you, how do you, you know, touch your, you know, stock ownership, you know, it's kind of more, it's a little bit different of a flavor. So it's just a broad term. That just means, uh, things that we can touch and feel Put it in your hand. Yeah. Put it in your hand. Well, you can't put your house in your hand, but it's that same idea. Yeah. Okay. All right. And we're talking with Glenn least of WT wealth management. You can learn more by calling 928-225-2474. It's no obligation. Give a call right now. 928-225-2474. Go to wtwealthmanagement.com. You are listening to Intelligent Investing, talking with Glenn Least, and you can call Glenn anytime at 
928-225-2474. That's 928-225-2474 in our multi-part series here on Investing 101. And we've just, last week and this week, been reviewing some investment terminology, what's a stock, mutual fund, bond, REITs, ETFs, CDs, cryptocurrencies, commodities, uh, real assets as well. And I guess, Glenn, how should an investor go about determining what percentage of their portfolio should be in each of these categories that, that we've been talking about here for the past two weeks? Yeah, yeah. So good good question. Um, and that's a common question people ask me is, well, what should I be investing in? Now that I kind of have a base idea of what the different investments are, you know, how much of my portfolio should be in stocks or bonds or real estate or commodities or cryptocurrencies for that matter. And and usually they had a an investing <clears throat> kind of term called 100 minus your age. Um, and I've actually been using the 120 minus your age just because we live a little bit longer and to combat inflation. But the idea with that one is, say you're 40 years old, 120 minus 40 would equal 80. So 80% of your portfolio should be in riskier assets. And usually that means stocks. So 80% of your portfolio should be in stocks. And then the other 20% should be in more diversifying assets or risk uh, off assets. So, you know, in that same scenario, if you're 40, you know, in theory, that scenario would tell you 80% of your portfolio should be in stocks and 20% should be maybe in a combination of bonds, real estate, um, you know, maybe some commodities, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, and, and it's, it's, it's different for each person too. So it's not a blanket, you know, end all be all statement because, you know, we also have to factor in, you know, how do they feel about investing? Um, how do they feel about risk? You know, what's their risk tolerance? I've had people that, frankly, should have more stock exposure, but they're just terrified of stocks because they had a bad experience 20, 30 years ago, and they are never able to overcome that. And now they just invest in nothing but CDs. And I mean, yeah, there's not as much risk there, but they're also losing to inflation every year too. So it really depends on the individual, um, you know, what their time horizon, how they feel about investing and what their risk tolerance is. And then, yeah, usually I try to use that 120 minus your age as kind of like a starting point for the conversation. Okay. Well, what's a good starting point? Um, as I think you already mentioned this, as far as determining the amount of risk in the, in the portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we probably should define risk too. You know, that's okay. a good, cause we keep saying this word risk. Um, and, and risk, you know, I think if you were to ask each person, it has a different meaning for each individual. So I think a lot of times people look at risk as in <clears throat> the potential of their money going to zero, like losing it all. Um, and so I don't necessarily think that that is, yeah, that's always a possibility, you know, but it's a pretty far out possibility. So, you know, I look, you know, me, I, I sometimes I'll, I'll substitute the word risk out for volatility because if you look at risk, you know, that in is, yeah, the possibility of going something to zero. So, you look at, hey, Jeff, if you and I were to start a restaurant downtown in Flagstaff and put our money in, you know, what's the risk of it being in business, you know, or going out of business in two years? And, and the national stats say it's about a 50-50 chance that wow. you've lost all your capital in two years. Those are just the national averages. Obviously, our our uh, our restaurant would be, you know, a lot better. We'd be serving amazing food. But still, <laughs> that, that's risk, right? Going to zero. But what's the risk of Amazon or, or Facebook or Google or Visa, MasterCard, Verizon, Walmart, Home Depot? What's the risk of them going? out of business in two years. Well, certainly not 50, 50, you know, what's the risk of them going out of business in five or 10 years? Well, I think we're asked that same question, probably still very low because they're so ingrained in our way of life. So, you know, can they have fluctuations in their stock price? Oh, absolutely. But maybe we should substitute out that word risk for volatility. How much movement can we, you know, have in our portfolio and be fine with it? Because let's face it, if, 
if some of these companies didn't exist, our life would not, we wouldn't be living the same lifestyle that we're on now. And so they're, they're really kind of staples of our everyday life and we can't really live without them as much as some of them may bother us at times, you know, or we're not super happy with those companies. It's like, what are our alternatives? I mean, we live this modern lifestyle where I can't function without a debit or credit card. I mean, it can do cash, but it's just such an inconvenience that I don't want to do it. I hardly ever carry cash anymore. So Visa and MasterCard or even Verizon, you know, I'm not getting rid of my cell phone. That is like my lifeline connection to those that I know, my community, my family, that sort of thing. So I'm not getting rid of Verizon, for, for example. I mean, I mean, maybe I go to T-Mobile, but still, it's the same basic concept. Yeah. yeah. So so I think we should really look at the word risk and substitute out volatility because the, the chances of most of these companies going to zero is pretty minute, but they can fluctuate in stock price. So I think that's a more efficient way of looking at it. Yeah. And if you have any questions for Glenn, give him a call, 928-225-2474. Uh, what about investing timeframes? You want to look at that a little deeper and uh, how you walk your clients through that, that conversation when they call you up. Yeah. yeah. So one of my first questions I ask people is, uh, you know, when they have, you know, and they want to get started investing, I ask them, well, how much time do we have? When's, what's the goal of this particular bucket of money? If you're 25 years old and you're saving for retirement, well, your, your time horizon is probably going to be 40 plus years because most people retire in their mid sixties. So in that, that circumstance, you know, we have a very long time horizon and we probably could afford to take on a lot more volatility or be more aggressive with our investing. But if you came in and said, Hey Glenn, I've got some money. I want to get invested. And I said, what's the goal? And you said, Hey, I'm closing on a house later this month. I kind of need the funds back within 30 days. I'd say, well, we really shouldn't be investing at all. That money should be staying in the bank account. Um, or maybe someone says, Hey, I've got, you know, I'm saving for a business opportunity or a home or, you know, something else in the future. And I've got at least two or three years before I think I need those funds. You know, then we can kind of build out how much risk we should take from there. Maybe it's more of a conservative to moderate amount of risk. So, you know, obviously the longer time we have, the more risk that we can or volatility we can have in our portfolio because the markets are usually positive four out of five years. So we can kind of build in the one bad year or two bad years into the scenario. And because of that, we can actually take a little bit more risk. So um, that's kind of how I think about it too. And each bucket has a little bit different of a time horizon. So that retirement bucket, usually a little bit longer, the mid range bucket, you know, maybe not as long, the bank account bucket, you know, usually that's money that you need within three to six months. So um, it's really important for us to kind of think of it as short, mid and long term um, goals. And then from there, we can kind of build out how we should be investing. But Glenn, again, the key is everybody's different. Everyone's so different. You got to yeah. talk with them. Yep. To figure exactly. That out. I got to talk yeah. with them. Yeah. And that's one of the values that we bring is being able to walk through that brainstorm. I do a lot of just uh, talking with clients and discussing just to get an idea of who they are, what their goals are. And then from there, I can really you know, leverage my expertise to get them in a portfolio that'll help them reach their goals. Um, and I find a lot of people are probably underinvested, meaning they have not enough stock in their portfolio just because of the stigma of it. They're like, Oh, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to lose it all. But yeah, then again, we talked about that. That's, uh, you know, depending if what companies you're looking at, if they're large stable companies, that's probably not a very realistic scenario. So, um, yeah, yeah each person's different. When you work with Glenn Least, his investment committee leverages over a century of combined experience to grow your money, not your fees. And they invest their personal savings the same exact way they invest your money. Call Glenn Least for a complimentary consultation at 928-225-2474. There's no obligation. Just call 928-225-2474. Or you can go to wtwealthmanagement.com. 
Tune in next week at the same time for another edition of Intelligent Investing on 97.1 FM, The Big Talker. We'll see you soon.